As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about Dr. Kevorkian. And I'll be talking about IHOP. What? <laughs> What horrible thing has taken place in an IHOP? Wouldn't you like you. to know? I guess I'll find out. That's right. Stay tuned. Our assault on restaurants continues. Or does it? What, it's just a bunch of compliments about mm. IHOP? Hmm. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I gotcha. I'm going first this week. You are, because do you know why? Because it's an even number. Good job, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> it only took me 70 episodes to get it down. First of all, thank you to Ian, who reached out to us via email with his case suggestion. He was like the sweetest. He... Emailed in a case suggestion. Uh-huh. I replied to it, said thanks, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And then he was like, wow, I didn't expect you to reply. And then he was like, I hope I'm not annoying you, but have you thought about doing Dr. Kevorkian? I was like, first of all, I've got all the time in the world. That's of course right. I'm replying to the email. <laughs> so, Well, so on that note, somebody yeah. um, messaged us on Facebook and I responded to it. Uh-huh. And then they responded back and they were like, is this Kristen or Brandy or is this like a webmaster who answers <laughs> Oh, this is Brandy. Yeah. <laughs> We don't have anyone under our employ. No, it's, it's all us. <laughs> If you see grunt work being done, it's one of us. That's correct. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it was just funny because I was like, yeah, uh, yeah no, I, yeah. I'm, I'm for sure responding to your email. I'm happy to get it. And in no way is this annoying. I Absolutely love it not. when We people suggest this stuff. We love when you guys send us messages, all of that. And it is us personally responding to you. I will say this one. This is a good one. Yeah. And I'm so glad he suggested it because it's one that I feel like everyone thinks they kind of mm-hmm. know, but you have no idea. Ooh. You think you know, but, but you, you have, have no idea. idea. Diary on MTV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone over 30 got that. Okay, so once again, a big shout out to famoustrials.com. Mm-hmm. We love that website. Yes. and. Douglas Olinder, who's the professor who runs that site, I think his Kevorkian article is fairly new because yeah. I don't remember seeing it I don't it remember before. seeing it on there. Here we go. Also, just so you know, I cried three times while I was researching yeah. this. So Kristen texted me yesterday and was like, I've already cried about my case twice. And I was like, oh, great. Can't wait to hear it. It's only one part that makes me cry, though. So it's okay. like once we get past that part, it's smooth sailing. Smooth sailing. Great. 
Jack Kevorkian was born in Pontiac, Michigan in 1928. He was the middle child and he was very bright. In 1952, he graduated from the University of Michigan Medical School. Fairly quickly, he made a name for himself, and not necessarily in a good way. In the late 50s, he got to thinking about people on death row. The way he saw it, if they were already on death row, why not give them the option to donate their organs to to sick people? Hmm. Why not give them the option to volunteer their bodies for medical experimentation? Why not let them die via anesthesia rather Mm -hmm. than like one of the other typical ways that they kill people on death row? And if the prisoners agreed to all that, then why not? Yeah. Prison officials did not like the idea. I'm sure they did not. And neither did the other doctors that Jack worked with. It was kind of a wacky, out there proposal. Mm -hmm. Eventually, he left his position at the University of Michigan for another job. He didn't want to give up on his controversial ideas, though, so he just took them elsewhere. Later, he had an idea that involved taking blood from corpses and transferring it into the bodies of people in need. You're making the grossest face right now. Again, people were not interested. Um, yeah, I'm not interested in that either. See, I I have a different... I know, you're making that face. It's dead blood. But if it works... And, you know, I don't know if it, it does work. I mean, yeah, this I is all that's gross. that's how they make zombies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just raise your hand if you're in favor of the zombie apocalypse. I'm just saying, I've seen... Uh, what is it? I am legend. Uh-huh. Yeah. They thought they cured cancer. Turned out they created vampire zombies. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't think... I think that if people need this, mm-hmm. and if it's safe to do it that way... Hmm. I mean, I know it seems... I know it weirds us out. Yes. The, you know what? This whole case is about things that weird people out. Yes. Yeah. So here Got we it. go. All right. I'll have my uncomfortable face on this whole time. <laughs> But again, people were not interested in... Is that a uh, peony? It is. My favorite flower. Are they really? Yeah. Um, my mom brought that over. It's so pretty. Uh, they smell so good. Um, the reason I ask is because they look a lot like English roses, and when they're open, you can't really tell the difference between them, in case somebody was like, wow, it's your fucking favorite flower, and you didn't just recognize it. I thought you were just showing off your flower knowledge. No. <laughs> Actually, Brandy, that's called a daisy. <laughs> And it is beautiful. (laughs) So now it's the 80s. Jack is still thinking outside the box. And now he's thinking about euthanasia. Young people in China? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Is it wrong to help kill someone who is terminally ill? Mm -hmm. Is it wrong to help someone die painlessly if that's what they truly want to do? Jack decided it wasn't wrong to help someone commit suicide. In fact, he decided that if it was done responsibly and humanely, and after a lot of discussion, then maybe he could be the one to do it. So he invented something called the Thanatron. You can find pictures of it online. It's kind Mm -hmm. of weird looking. It had these three bottles and an IV line and, like, this little motor. Yeah, Google uh, Jack Kevorkian Thanatron. And good luck spelling Kevorkian. Got it. Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. So here's how it worked 
Jack would hook a patient up to the IV. He'd get the saline drip going. Mm -hmm. Then the patient would flip a switch for second all, which would essentially put them into a coma. Mm -hmm. After that, second all ran out. Then potassium chloride would flow in, stop the heart. Mm -hmm. So this 60-year-old doctor had developed a a contraption that caused a painless death. Yeah. And now he wanted to get the word out. So he went to some local newspapers, and he wanted to buy an ad. Mm -hmm. But the newspapers were like, Yeah, you can't advertise that here. (laughs) What? They were like, you can't advertise a death contraption. Thank you very much. But we're fascinated by you, fascinated by this concept, so they wanted to interview him instead. Yeah, of course. So that's how word got out. In 1989, Newsweek did a story about him. The reaction to Jack's device and his plan was very mixed. Mm -hmm. A lot of people found it horrifying. Mm -hmm. They found it wrong. Do you want to talk about how you feel about it? Oh, we're going to. Oh, okay. Yeah, like in two seconds. Okay. When I start crying. Okay. (laughs) But other people thought it made sense. And some people even thought that assisted suicide sounded pretty attractive. Mm Mm-hmm. One of those people was Janet Atkins. Janet was 54. She was an absolute rock star. She loved to travel, loved to hike. She lived in Portland, Oregon, and had a great family. But she also had early-onset Alzheimer's disease. Her doctors said that she could live for a very long time. But that wasn't what she wanted Mm -hmm. to do. She didn't want to live for years and years and years as her mind and her memories slipped away. She wanted to die on her own terms before it was too late for her to make a clear decision. So we're going to stop. First of all, how do you feel about this? I'm totally for it. I am too. Yep. Um, The reason I'm for it is because my grandpa died two years ago from Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother currently has Alzheimer's. My aunt died two years ago from Alzheimer's. Like, it's a terrible, horrible disease. You completely lose yourself. You lose your family. If you want to choose not to go through that, I think you should get to fucking choose that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So there there were many things that were very, very hard about Mm -hmm. seeing him go through that. Mm -hmm. But one of the hardest was knowing that he would if he had had any idea what was happening, mm-hmm. he would have hated it. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Janet and her husband, Ron, flew out to Michigan to meet with Jack. In total, they met four times. Jack didn't charge mm-hmm. for what he did. He didn't want anyone to think that he was in any way motivated by money Mm -hmm. for this. In his meetings with Janet and Ron, they discussed Janet's condition at length. He recorded three of their interviews and had Janet and Ron fill out a lengthy questionnaire. The whole time, Janet was certain. She wanted to die. She wanted his help. So for the first time ever, Jack put his invention to use. He couldn't find a funeral home or hotel or anywhere that would willingly let a woman come in and commit suicide. Mm -hmm. So Janet agreed to die in Jack's 1968 Volkswagen van. Wow. 
it's kind of a weird deal. You know, it's like one of those vans that like has the curtains yeah, yeah, yeah. up and yeah. a cot in the back. She said goodbye to her husband and Jack and his sister and Janet drove off in the van to a ca- to a campground. Janet's last word was hurry. Jack responded, safe journey. Hmm. Okay, pausing again. What do you think people's argument is against this? I honestly, I don't know. Like, you know how I feel about animals? Yes, I do. We do this for animals. Yeah. Why can't we do this for humans? My dad has said the exact same thing. Yeah, I don't understand it. Yeah. I really don't. We make the decision for animals that they are in too much pain to continue living and we give them peaceful deaths. Yeah. What is the damn difference if a human decides they want to do that for themselves? I don't know. 100% do not understand the argument against it. What was amazing to me about this is I feel so strongly about it. Mm -hmm. But then... There was a poll that shows that people are pretty, like, split down the Mm -hmm. middle. And I'm amazed by that. Yeah. And part of me wonders, are the people on the other side of this, have they not had a family member go through? Or I would assume that the people must have strong religious beliefs. That it's playing God to some degree. Man, I would argue with that all day long. Mm -hmm. Because I think there could be an argument that any medical intervention is playing God. Absolutely. Yeah. You're having but, a heart attack. Oh, don't take him to the hospital. But on the surface, I, to me, I would believe that's the argument. Yeah, you're that probably the right. People who are against it are, have very strong religious beliefs. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, if that's how they feel, yeah. then I guess it, to me, it goes back to the thing of. If you don't like gay marriage, don't have one. Yeah. To me, it's like, if you don't like assisted suicide, don't... Don't have one. Don't have one. Yes. (laughs) Don't do it. But, I mean, I've thought, personally, a lot, just because with my grandpa, there's a chance that he has Alzheimer's and it was hereditary. Yeah. But there's also a chance that what happened to him stemmed from a really bad fall that he took when he was in his 20s. Yeah. And so I've thought about that, like, if it's hereditary... There's a chance I could get it. Yeah. Would I have the strength? I mean, I think that's so hard. Would I have the strength to say, right now, while I'm of sound mind and I'm not necessarily ready to go, Yeah. can I go? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think you would ever do it? Um, gosh, I just don't know. Yeah. But I would never tell someone else they can't make that decision for themselves. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. See, I really feel like I would do it. You do? Only because when my grandpa was hospitalized, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we went up there quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my God, like some of the worst moments of oh, my yeah. life oh, are yeah. tied to that. Absolutely. And, you know, I think about, like, fuck. (laughs) Like, if my niece were to see me like that. Yeah, absolutely. And to experience that. Because, like, I think people think, oh, your memory gets wonky. Oh, you can't remember people. 
No, it's no, it's so not much just worse that. than that. It's paranoia. It's yes. thinking people are out to get you. It's yes. tons of horrible, horrible things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's worse than that. Even there's a point where there's a person's personality is oh, yeah. completely lost. They're unrecognizable to you and they are unrecognizable to themselves. Yeah. The idea of me like losing myself like that is like my biggest fear in the world. Yeah. Alzheimer's is it runs very heavily in my family and it is fucking terrifying. I think I could do it. If I was. Now I'm afraid that you're going to get it. Damn it, Brandy. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to Thelma and Louise oh, this no shit, shit if it's not legal yes. by the <laughs> Probably forget where we're going. I know. <laughs> Sorry, that's not funny. No. no. It's, um, yeah. No, I think I could do it. Yeah. I think I would choose to do it over over the alternative. Yeah. Well. Let's talk about more exciting stuff. Okay. Let's, yeah. let's oh, continue boy. on on our comedy podcast here. <laughs> I'm glad we talked about this because a lot of people don't know that Alzheimer's is bad. <laughs> Common misconception out there. People think it's great. It's not. <laughs> so once she died, Jack called the police. They immediately arrested him and charged him with murder. But he got out pretty quickly. Michigan didn't have a law against assisting with a suicide, Mm -hmm. so Jack was released. Mm -hmm. In Portland, Janet's husband, Ron, read a statement that Janet wrote before she died. It read, I have Alzheimer's disease, and I do not want to let it progress any further. I do not want to put my family or myself through the agony of this terrible disease. So once again, it's bad. Yes. This story made national headlines. And again, people were very divided on the issue. People started calling Jack Dr. Death. Mm -hmm. He helped two more people commit suicide. But in 1991, the Michigan Board of Medicine voted unanimously to suspend his medical license. What he was doing was unacceptable. Brandy, don't Mm. shake your head. It was unacceptable. Infuriating to me. Why? Because he's helping people. Yeah. I truly believe he's helping people. And, okay, so I don't know if you'll get into this. I watched, there was a documentary years ago about a man um, that he helped who had ALS. Oh, okay. And, like, my understanding of this is that he did this with everyone, like, where he, you know, had recorded statements that they had made like nobody he wasn't doing this against anyone's will like so okay I was kind of saving this for later well sorry no 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 no, no. I think we can we can do it now okay years later the Detroit Detroit (laughs) the Detroit Free Press did kind of an investigation Mm -hmm. and they said he didn't always follow his own methods to the T which we'll discuss that more in depth later Mm -hmm. but 
I, from what I read and from what I've seen, mm-hmm. it seems like he he was very careful. I mean, yeah. he videotaped yeah, everything. everything. Yeah, he had people fill out questionnaires. Mm-hmm. It, it seemed to me that he was going as by the book as you can go yeah. when there is no when book. there is no book. Yes, yeah. when you're the one you know running the show. Yeah, blazing the trail, um, cutting the path. Okay. <laughs> But that didn't stop him. Without a license, he couldn't get the drugs he needed for the Thanatron, so he took a new route. He made a new invention called the Mercitron. Here's how this one worked. The patient would wear a mask over their nose and mouth, and the mask would be hooked up to carbon monoxide. Mm -hmm. The patient would inhale, and eventually Mm -hmm. they'd die. So this one took, obviously, more time, Mm -hmm. but still... Painless. Yeah. Yeah, peaceful. There's a weird picture of... Him holding the tank and Barbara Walters with oh, the mask. Really? Yeah, which is like. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter that Jack didn't have a medical license. He continued to assist people mm-hmm. in dying. But a lot of people were strongly opposed to what Jack was doing. And one of those people was the governor of Michigan. In 1992, the governor signed a law that made it illegal to, to assist, assist in a suicide. suicide. But not that long after the law was signed, Jack met a man named Thomas Hyde. Mm-hmm. Thomas was 30, and he had Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. This is the guy, I think. You think? That he helped multiple people okay. with ALS. Might but it, it might be this it might guy. might be this guy. He, he was young. I remember that okay. specifically. Yeah, yeah. That that was a big thing, is that God. he was young. ALS. Oh. Can we talk about, in case you guys don't know, ALS is also very bad. We're just helping you guys out. Here is a list of things that are bad. Alzheimer's, bad. ALS, bad. Cancer, bad. bad. Now we're all feeling smarter, I think. So Thomas couldn't walk. He could barely swallow. His speech was slurred. ALS is one of those diseases that, as it progresses, well, it's kind of like Alzheimer's in that it just gets worse Mm -hmm. and worse and worse and worse and worse. And there's not a lot that can be done for you. No. Thomas hated what the disease had done to his body. He'd always been so active, but now he could barely move. For a while, he attended an ALS support group, but he stopped going because he'd be in this room with all these people, some of them much worse off than mm-hmm. he was, and it was depressing. Yeah, it's like looking at your future. Yes. Yeah. Which, I mean, it was funny to read that and go, oh, yeah, shit, that would be yeah. awful. It'd be like the worst kind of support yes. group. Yes. Like, this is my future? Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. So he went to Jack. He wanted help ending his life. And in August of 1993, Jack agreed. With his help, Thomas died. But thanks to the new law, what Jack had done was now illegal. Mm-hmm. So Jack was charged with murder. Jack hired a defense attorney named Jeffrey Figer, And man, Jeffrey was good. The law made it illegal to knowingly provide the physical means or participate in the act of suicide. But it gave an exception for cases where the intent is to relieve pain. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, your reaction, same as Jeffrey's. Uh-huh. Jeffrey's like, I've got my loophole. Yeah. <laughs> so Jeffrey wanted to, the jury to see exactly how much pain Thomas had been in. In his opening statement, he said, You will decide how much suffering all of us must endure before we go into that good night. Some of us, not so gently. 
Yeah. Powerful, right? Super powerful. How much pain yeah. should that person go through? Yeah. That's incredible to make that decision. Yeah. That, it, that anyone would have the right to make that decision for someone right. else. Over the course of the five-day trial, Jeffrey argued that Jack was all about relieving pain. That's all he wanted to do. And if someone died as a result of him relieving pain, that was just the natural consequence. Mm-hmm. It was not the goal. Right. But Assistant Prosecutor Timothy Kenny argued that, no, that loophole does not apply here. He said that loophole was for doctors who wanted to prescribe experimental medication to terminally ill patients. Oh, does it say that in the law? How dare you, Brandy? (laughs) Do not ask this prosecutor follow-up questions. Here's something. Now, here's a point of his that I think is actually pretty good. He said, carbon monoxide is a poison. It's not a medication. Mm. I th- yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Don't. Oh, you're right. No, I <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that's bad. Carbon monoxide. <laughs> you should um, have a carbon monoxide detector in your home, um, and you should check them every time. Oh, okay, so we're told to check them here every time the tornado sirens go off. Oh, yeah. You what, do, what do you tell people in other parts of the country that don't have tornado siren tests? You know what? That would have been, um, I want to say hilarious, but it wouldn't be hilarious if you just spouted that off and people were like, all right, oh, I guess I'll right, never, I guess have I'll to check never check my carbon monoxide detector. But for us, that's like <laughs> twice a year, yeah. right? Yeah. They do in the in the in the springtime. They do monthly tests actually of the system. Really? Yeah. Every Wednesday, uh, the first Wednesday of every oh, month. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Check them. You know, frequently. <laughs> the batteries are important. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> At one point, Jeffrey showed the jury a video of Thomas. In it, he tried to say, but again, it was hard for him to speak. I want to end this. I want to die. Thomas's brother, Sean, also took the stand. He read the jury a letter that Thomas had written to Jack. It said, the degradation has gone far enough. I frighten my daughter and I see fear and pity in my son's eyes. I have made my peace. Can you please help me? Oh, my God. Gosh. Yeah. Ugh. That's what I'm saying. I just, I don't understand how you can hear that, have just the most basic understanding of ALS. Yeah. And not understand where that man was coming from. Exactly. Jack took the stand and spoke passionately about how he just wanted to end Thomas's suffering. The prosecution tried to paint Jack as a zealot who'd been rejected by the medical community. But it didn't really work. I was going to say. He was really charming Mm -hmm. on the stand. At some points, the jury laughed with him. I didn't include this quote, but someone who was watching it all was like, they're not going to convict someone if they're laughing with him, Mm -hmm. which I think is probably true. probably true. Also, he's kind of an interesting guy. He never married, never had kids. He would buy his clothes at Goodwill. Mm -hmm. He was just kind of this... I mean, obviously, he courted publicity. Yeah. But he wasn't some fancy pants guy, you know? Yeah. 
He explained that his philosophy, which he attributed to Hippocrates, was that doctors should continue life until life isn't worth living. Mm-hmm. But when he wasn't on the stand, Jack wasn't nearly so passionate. He passed the time quietly studying lists of Japanese verbs. Okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. I, I think, you know, I think he was so certain that mm-hmm. what he was doing was right. Yeah. And he was so annoyed because clearly this law had been written to catch him. Yeah. And so I think that was him just kind of thumbing mm-hmm. his nose at the whole process. Yeah. There was also some debate about exactly where Thomas died mm-hmm. because his place of death would ultimately determine which court had jurisdiction. Yeah. But that stuff's boring. So I'm mentioning it now to say, hello, I mentioned it. Yeah. And then we're just like moving mm-hmm. right the fuck along. Yeah. Okay. In closing arguments, the prosecution told the jury it didn't matter whether they liked this particular law. It didn't matter where, whether they thought the law should be changed. The question was, did, did he, he break, break the law? Yeah. And if he did, they needed to find him guilty. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? I mean, that's the best argument. Uh, yeah, when you feel like you're losing, that's yeah. the only argument. That's you the can only make. argument, yeah. I would say there have been horrible laws yeah. in this country and many others. Uh-huh. And just because it's a law does not mean that if I'm a yeah. juror, I'm going to go I'm along gonna, with exactly. it. Exactly. I t- would totally agree. Oh, black people and white people need separate water fountains? Yeah. yeah I'm not upholding that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. The defense argued that what Jack had done was compassionate. He was practicing human decency. You shouldn't go to jail for practicing yeah. human decency. Yeah. The jury deliberated for nine hours. And ultimately, he was acquitted. Mm -hmm. Afterward, one of the jurors said, I don't feel it's our obligation to choose for someone else how much pain and suffering they can go through. That's between them and their God. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. I totally agree. As you can probably imagine, this was a controversial verdict. And the state of Michigan was pissed that they lost. But they didn't give up. Don't worry, Brandy. Okay. They did not Great. give up. Great. Jack continued to... excited to hear that. <laughs> Jack continued to assist people through their suicides, and eventually the state of Michigan charged him again. This time for assisting in a suicide of a woman who had ALS and a doctor who had bone cancer. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey used a very similar strategy to the first trial. Yeah. Once again, he showed the jury video of the two people that Jack had helped to die. In one tape, Jack asked the doctor, Ali Khalili, why not just commit suicide yourself? Mm -hmm. And Ali said that he wanted it done by a professional. Mm -hmm. Basically, his thought was, I don't want this to get messed up in any way. Mm -hmm. I want this to go smoothly. I've come to a professional. Yeah. Which to me makes total Total sense. sense. I think it makes total sense. Especially given that he was a doctor. Yeah, and I think... Changes the connotation of the act. What do you mean? It's a, yes, you're still taking your life. You're deciding to end your life. But you are I don't know. It's different than I think you're dying with dignity. Yes. 100%. And you're making sure that there are professionals Mm -hmm. around you who know what to do, 
It's not going to be a surprise to anyone. Nothing's going to exactly. go wrong. If something exactly. does go wrong, you've got people there. In a controlled environment. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think it makes total sense. Jack took the stand again, and he told the jury basically the same thing he told the other jury. He didn't want anyone to die. He wanted to end their suffering. Mm-hmm. He was trying to do the humane thing. And by the way, he didn't profit from any of this. He wasn't a rich man. He was just trying to do what he felt was the right thing. Yeah. The jury went into deliberation, and they acquitted him. Mm-hmm. So now Jack has won two trials. Yeah. It seems pretty clear that once people have all the information, they tend to side with him. Mm-hmm. So Jack goes out into the world and continues his work. Yeah. He continues to assist people. But prosecutors would not give up. Oh, my gosh. They charged him again, but this time they took a new tactic. See, in 1994, the Michigan Supreme Court. Wow, oh, I cued you <laughs> up. So I, I had my little finger in I'm the so air, sorry. and you—is something going on? You dreaming about something else? No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so in this case. This is okay. such an interesting one. Yeah, I, I really, even though it made me cry. Yeah, that's usually a good sign if it makes Absolutely. me cry. Absolutely. So they had ruled that assisting Honestly, in Honestly, I'm, I'm riled up because, like, yeah. who the fuck are they to say that he's doing something wrong? It makes me wish that we had someone right here at this table with us mm-hmm. who disagreed. Yeah. Because I had kind Tell of... Tell me your argument. Yeah, I had kind of hoped that you would disagree. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. I can't. Because, <laughs> like, I feel like I've always been... Even before the stuff with my grandpa, I've always yeah. kind of felt like, hey, if you know, if you're suffering, I I yeah. get it. But especially after all that, to me, I'm a huge proponent of not. I just don't think I have any right to tell anybody else what they can do with their life, like yeah. as far as who they marry, if they choose to have an abortion, yeah, if they decide to have assisted suicide. How does that affect my life in any way? How do I get a say in that? I don't believe in that at all. So I'm with you 100% except for I will tell people all day long whether you can put shredded cheese on nachos. (laughs) The answer is no, you can't. It's melted cheese only. I think that might be an example of gatekeeping. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. This is the hill that I will die on. But no, I feel the same way you do. Yeah. Oh. It, it doesn't matter. Like, if any, if I'm going to choose any of those things for myself, it yeah. does not fucking matter. I hope I, I never have to. Exactly. Right? <laughs> but I'm, I, I have no right to tell you what you can and can't decide for your own life. Yeah. Nor do I think the government should have any right. And, well, <sighs> sorry to tell so you. I know. Alabama. <laughs> What? Something great going on in Alabama? Should we be worried at all? (sighs) I can't talk about it, Kristen. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) I know. I was thinking about making a dark comment about the Supreme Court. (sighs) I'm concerned. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. This is not a political podcast. Well, it got there. (laughs) So, 
1994, the Michigan Supreme Court ruled that assisting in a suicide had always been a crime. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just like, not technically on the books, right. but everybody, it's like, you know, kind of frowned upon. <laughs> <laughs> so, we didn't think we needed to tell you you couldn't do that. <laughs> what What they said was that, you know, basically forget that other law uh-huh. with its caveat about pain and suffering, because yeah. obviously that's not working for right. us when it comes to a jury. What they said was that assisted suicide had always been against the law through common law. So, you know, there are certain laws that it's like yeah. the legislature passed. Yeah, yeah. Common law is like when it's kind of decided through courts mm-hmm. and, you know, precedent, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. We get it. So now the court is claiming that it, this is common law. Mm-hmm. It's very strict. Yeah. And if Jack assisted in a suicide in any way, then he needs to do prison time. Okay. By this point, Jack had been through trial after trial. He's getting older. He's so sick of this bullshit. Mm-hmm. And this new ruling seems ridiculous yeah. and very targeted because the court was saying that this whole assisted suicide thing was a matter of common law. So what did Jack do? He showed up to court in traditional colonial garb. <laughs> <laughs> he wore one of those like white powdered wigs. Yeah. He had those pilgrim style buckle shoes uh-huh. and those little capri pants yeah. with the knee socks. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Outside, he posed in a makeshift. I mean, I call them stocks, but I looked them up online. Yeah. And they call them pillory. Oh, yeah. Pillory. I mean, people can't yeah. see what we're doing, but it's when you got your head. Yeah, you got your head in the hole, and then your wrists go in the other holes, and you're put out in the town square. Mm-hmm. It's also a fetish. <laughs> <laughs> you would find a way to bring that up, wouldn't you? I haven't in many episodes. <laughs> Frankly, the people demanded it. <laughs> so, you know, his point was obviously like he was being published, like it was punished, like it was olden times. Yeah. But this trial was no laughing matter. The state had a better case now, thanks to this common law argument. And the prosecution had done a pretty good job of picking which individual suicides to go after. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there were, there were quite a few. This time, they went after Jack for assisting in the suicides of Marjorie Wants and Sherry Miller. Marjorie had MS, but doctors seemed to agree that she could have lived for many years. Mm-hmm. Which, <laughs> again... You know, I'm being attacked by an eyelash. I was going to say. <laughs> They're mutinying against me. <laughs> Did some of them walk the plank into your icy blue eyes? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> you guys, if you haven't seen Brandy's eyes, they're, okay. they're quite mesmerizing. Let's calm down. Many a creepy man has complimented her on them, and now her creepy friend is complimenting her. <laughs> so Sherry was in the same boat. She was in a lot of pain from some surgeries that had gone wrong. But again, I guess she could have could, continued yeah, living. But let's but, talk about quality of life. Absolutely. I, I am going to go back to this argument. Why do we do that in animals? But it is ridiculous to think about it for humans. I don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this part, again, made me think of my grandpa because... His life expectancy after a certain point was pretty short. Yeah. But he kept on going. Mm-hmm. And the doctors would be like, his body is great. And it's like, yeah. well, well, that's just sad. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, there comes a point where it's like, 
as messed up as it sounds, you don't want their body to be in good condition because you want them out of exactly the pain. Oh, yeah. God. Anyway. So this was not as clear cut as mm-hmm. the previous trials. But Jeffrey continued to argue that what Jack had done was humane and what his patients wanted. He also argued that this common law shit was bullshit. Yeah. Jack took the stand again, and when assistant prosecutor Larry Bunting cross-examined him, things got very heated. Okay, so Jack had had enough. Enough, yeah. Jack screamed that his trial was worse than a Nazi court. When Larry tried to imply that what Jack had done was illegal, Jack screamed, There is no law. This isn't a trial. Tell me I'm wrong. Wow. And at this point, the judge was like, Whoa, cool it. You need to cool it. And Jack said, You can cite me for contempt, Your Honor. I don't care. Yeah. He's like, I'm fucking over it. Yes. Yeah. Because it's so pointed. It's so clearly about him. But the judge didn't do that. Instead, he ordered a recess and told Jack to talk to his attorneys. Mm -hmm. Jack came back a little more level-headed. The very next day. (laughs) Jack came back the very next day. (laughs) And the cross-examination continued. Uh But once again, the jury kind of liked him. Yeah. They they listened intently Mm -hmm. to everything he said. Ultimately, the jury deliberated for a while. They argued. At the start, four of them wanted to convict Jack, but eventually they came back with another acquittal. acquittal. Yeah. Afterwards, one of the jurors explained that the argument against common law had worked. She said she'd made her decision the week before they went into deliberation. She was outside raking leaves in her yard when it dawned on her. I didn't want someone to come along three years from now and say that raking leaves back then was illegal. You just didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Between 1994 and 1997, Jack was brought to trial four times. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. So he was acquitted the first three times and got a mistrial in his fourth. Mm-hmm. All the while, he continued to assist people in their suicides. You may also be interested in knowing that he had his hobbies. He loved jazz, and in 1997, he released a CD. He played flute and organ on it. Um, Entertainment Weekly called it weird, but (laughs) good-natured. I would agree with that, Entertainment (laughs) Weekly. I I agree that it is weird. (laughs) He also dabbled in oil painting. His Mm. stuff was... So I looked up some of his stuff Mm -hmm. because I was curious. It's good, but again... Dark and weird. Yeah. Um, so look up the album cover for Acid Baths album, For He Is Raised. Once again, that's Acid Bath with the album, For He Is Raised. And that's Jack's artwork on the cover. Ooh. So it's like... Three bunnies. Mm-hmm. Jesus is being hatched from an egg. Yes. Um, one of the bunnies is like the puppet master of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And frankly, that bunny has wings that look like Golden Graham cereal. Yes, all of this is accurate. Anything to add? Um, I don't know how I could describe it any better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's why I'm here. <laughs> to describe album covers. <laughs> 
This podcast is taking a turn. <laughs> We're done with court stuff. <laughs> so jazz and oil painting aside, Jack's true mission in life was to make assisted suicide accepted and available to those who wanted it. What's up? I'm trying to decide if this is a hat on this one bunny or if that's hair. Yeah, I couldn't decide, so I just didn't bother describing that one. Okay. To me, it looks like, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So it's that pot, but it's filled with golden graham cereal and raisins. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or Hmm. could be a jalapeno popper. (laughs) You know what? That could be a fat jalapeno popper. <laughs> Don't make me hungry. <laughs> so this became a problem because in the late 90s, people weren't really talking about assisted suicide mm-hmm. anymore. He, anymore. It had been in the news with all his trials, but now it was not really so much something that people talked yeah. about. But then in 1998, Jack met a man named Thomas Uke. At one time, Thomas had been a race car driver, but then he was diagnosed with ALS. Within two years of his diagnosis, he was almost completely paralyzed, his lung capacity was diminished, he had a feeding tube, he was in tremendous pain. Mm -hmm. He told his brother it felt like his whole body was plugged into an electric socket. Oh my gosh. Thomas asked his family to get him in contact with Jack, and they did. Once again, Jack did his thing. He videotaped the interview, explained the procedure, and gave Thomas a consent form, which he signed. Mm -hmm. He asked Thomas, how long can you wait for this procedure? And Thomas said he could wait about a week. Jack said, sure. Mm -hmm. He was like, let's not hurry this. But the next day, Thomas called Jack. He couldn't wait a week. He wanted to end his life right now. Mm -hmm. Jack acquiesced. He went back over and he injected secondol into Thomas's hand. So, unlike in the previous procedures where people flipped a switch yeah. or did something to initiate their own death, this was not assisted suicide. This was euthanasia. Mm-hmm. And remember, Jack wanted to restart the dialogue on dying. So in November of 1998, he reached out to 60 Minutes. He sent the videos of Thomas's interview and his subsequent death to mm-hmm. CBS. 60 Minutes agreed to do a segment on Jack. And in the interview, they pressed him on whether what he did was murder. And Jack basically said, I don't think so. But it doesn't matter to me what you call it. What I did was better than assisted suicide because there was better control. Mm -hmm. The interviewer at one point implied that this was, in a way, a publicity stunt. And Jack said that it kind of was. Mm Mm-hmm. He wanted to be prosecuted. He said, the issue has got to be raised to the level where it can finally be decided. Yeah. He wanted a decision once and for all on whether what he was doing was truly illegal. Jack got his wish. Mm -hmm. Three days after 60 Minutes aired their segment, he was charged with first degree murder and aiding and abetting a suicide. Mm-hmm. I did not watch this 60 minute segment. I don't know if it's even available online. Mm-hmm. But my understanding is that he was pretty brazen yeah. and it didn't it didn't necessarily cast him in a great light. Right. Once again, Jack's longtime defense attorney Jeffrey Figer was by his side. Jeffrey had gone through four trials with mm-hmm. Jack. 
He took a look at what was ahead of them and said, hey, this 60 minutes special is not going to help our case. I'm going to try to get it excluded from evidence. But Jack didn't agree with him. (gasps) He wanted it? He liked the 60 Minutes episode. He didn't care if it damaged his case. He wanted to show the jury exactly what he'd done. Just put it all out into the open. Mm -hmm. But Jeffrey was like, you don't understand. We need to be more strategic than this. As your lawyer, I cannot allow you to self-destruct. So Jack said, consider yourself fired. Holy shit. Yeah. After all their years together, Jack got a new legal team. He talked to them about the possibility of getting convicted and taking his case all the way to the Supreme Court. So this to me is where Jack's ego gets a little out of control. Mm -hmm. And he gets reckless, basically. He saw himself as a hero. He was the champion of this movement. Mm -hmm. And he told his lawyers that he might win the Nobel Prize. Wow. His new defense attorney made a very questionable judgment call before they went to trial. What's up? Well, I mean, that just seems like narcissism. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's a chance he was pretty narcissistic. Yeah. And not to say that narcissism is always a, a bad thing. No. No, um, no, no. But... I think to do this and to decide, I am going to be the face of this movement. I'm going to change things. You I would think have you to be have narcissistic. To be. Yeah. yeah. You would have yeah. to be. Yeah. So Jack had been charged with first degree murder mm-hmm. and also with aiding and abetting a suicide. And his lawyer, for some reason, made a motion to dismiss the assisted suicide charge. Well, that's stupid. The judge thought so, too. Yeah. Judge Jessica Cooper was like, oh, are, you, are you sure? She explained that without the assisted suicide charge, all the evidence about Thomas's pain and suffering would be completely irrelevant. In fact, it yeah. would be inadmissible. Yeah. You couldn't talk about it. But the defense lawyer pressed on. What? He was like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I don't think you do. Here was his strategy. He figured that if a jury had to choose between a murder conviction and an acquittal, they'd for sure go for an acquittal. Not if they don't get to see all of that stuff. I agree. See, I my initial thought was completely different than that. What? My initial thought was okay, if the choice is between first-degree murder and assisted suicide, mm-hmm. like, they're not going to be able to find him guilty of both of those. They contradict each other, mm-hmm. in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you would lean towards acquittal, but be much better to be found guilty of assisting a suicide than first-degree murder. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So the defense I don't made think this is going to go well. Well, here we go. <laughs> so the defense made that motion. The judge warned against it, and the prosecution was like, "Oh, hey, you want to dismiss the assisted suicide Great! charge? Sure, <laughs> I'm happy to oblige. Yes. I'm always down for this." So that charge went away. Uh huh. By the time the trial came along, Jack had gotten rid of his new lawyer, mm-hmm. and his replacement 
was himself. Okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. He's not a lawyer. He what? has been. He's he's, he's got, got a lot lawyer. of experience. He's been on trial a lot. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. Once again, Judge Jessica Cooper was like, "Dude, bad call. Yeah. Bad call." She said. Do you realize you could spend the rest of your life in prison? Right. And Jack said, there's not much left of it, Your Honor. He told the court that he had been planning to be his own lawyer for a while. He wasn't dissatisfied with his old legal counsel. He just felt that he could do a better job. Okay. Narcissist for sure. Um... So I think there's definitely narcissism. I think there's also something else here at play. Uh-huh. We'll get into it a okay. little later. The trial lasted two days. And it was a shit show. Yeah. Here was Jack's argument. You ready? Mm-hmm. Euthanasia should be legal. That's his whole argument? He told the jury that he was just like an executioner. Oh, no! <laughs> what? Why does that... Why would he say that? Here was his argument. He was just like an executioner. You know, you don't hold the executioner personally responsible for the act of executing. You know, that's like, that's the state, that's the legal system. I feel like there's probably a list of words you should not use when you're on trial for first degree murder. And execute is probably one of them. So (laughs) the... The thing that stood out to me about this Mm -hmm. was, you know, I always do my newspapers.com thing, pulling up old stuff from previous trials. And in one of his previous trials, when mm-hmm. he was on the stand, he made this he made this analogy. Is this an analogy? An analogy, yeah. yeah. He made this analogy on the stand. He said, I'm just like an executioner and you don't hold the executioner personally mm-hmm. responsible. Or like um, another argument would be like a soldier at war. Yeah. And his attorney, who again was an actual attorney, yeah. flipped out. Uh, yeah. And later, when the media asked him questions, he yelled at reporters and got in their faces and, like, Mm -hmm. basically flipped out, like, don't you dare print that. No, he is not an executioner. Uh, He is, you know, he's doing the right moral thing. Yeah, but now with that legal counsel, that good legal counsel gone, Jack is just using his own... (laughs) I mean, like, he learned nothing from that. Yeah. Yeah. He was right. Holy shit. Jack didn't call any witnesses. Mm-hmm. Of course he didn't. But not for lack of trying. Okay. Uh, he actually had people he wanted to call to the stand, but the judge was like, no, their testimony isn't relevant. So, like, again, not, not a lawyer. Not a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't know that, oh, <laughs> I can't call just whoever, yeah, whoever I want. Whoever I want, yeah. So Jack was in a tough position. But what do you expect? He's not a lawyer. So, (laughs) Meanwhile, the prosecution, which was made up of actual attorneys, did a pretty good job. Yeah, I'm sure they did. They played the 60 Minutes tape, and Assistant Prosecutor John Skrzynski Mm -hmm. said, this is not an assisted suicide case. Tom Uke did not kill himself with Jack Kevorkian's help. Jack Kevorkian killed Tom Uke by injecting him with drugs. Hmm, that's a pretty good argument. On the second day of trial, the judge asked him again, are you sure you want to keep representing yourself? Are you positive? 
And Jack said yes. Uh-huh. He told the judge, I don't want you to agonize. It won't offend me if you think I'm making a mistake or that I don't know what I'm doing. This is my choice. Don't agonize. She said, I just want you to understand that if you're convicted, you could go away for the rest of your life. And he said, I go to jail. I go to jail. Yes, I go to jail. He told her, if I'm convicted, then I'll get a shot at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court justices have said they'd like to weigh in on a case like this, and I want to give it to them. They might not take the case. It might be a long shot. But if I do a hunger strike, then maybe it'll speed the process up. Holy shit. So, this is what I was talking about earlier. I do think his ego played a huge role in this. But I also think he was trying to throw the trial. I think he was trying to get convicted. Yeah. Then he said, because, you know, again, that's a huge gamble to be like, I'll lose and then go to the Supreme Court. He goes, but if not, who cares? In 15, 20 years, they'll say, well, he was right. He's dead now, but he was right. Mm -hmm. I've got to do what I know is right. I've got to do what I know now is right. And I can't let the law, which is immoral, block me. If Margaret Sanger did that, if Susan B. Anthony did that, look at Martin. Look at all these people. I'm not saying I'm like them, but they certainly, I'm certainly going to act like them. I mean, I know this is not a crime. So do you. Everybody with sense does. Your religion may say it's a sin, but that doesn't make it a crime. All these people broke the law and went to jail. I am willing to do the same. Wow. (sighs) Yeah. Holy cow. Isn't that so powerful? I got got goosebumps. Yeah. The jury deliberated, and they found him guilty of second-degree homicide. Mm -hmm. Judge Cooper sentenced him to 10 to 25 years in prison. At the sentencing, she told him, You had the audacity to go on national television, show the world what you did, and dare the legal system to stop you. Well, sir, consider yourself stopped. Wow. Yeah. So Jack went to prison. Uh, This was a big victory for Jack's detractors, and there were a lot of them. So let's get to that. According to his former lawyer, Jeffrey Figer, Jack assisted in the deaths of 130 people between 1990 and 1998. They were all terminally ill, and they all took the final action that ultimately Mm -hmm. led to their death. But in 1997, the Detroit Free Press did an investigation into Jack and found that what he said he did and what actually happened were two very different things. Okay, so I'm going to pull up the article now. Mm -hmm. Wikipedia says that... 60% of his patients weren't terminally ill. Um, What? Yeah, which I was like, oh, my God. And so, you know, I went and tried to find this report. I didn't find it in this report. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe maybe this was a multiple-part series, and I missed that. But to me, like, the most damning evidence I did not see. Yeah. So I'm just throwing it out there. So I'm just going to read to you from, like, a little chart they've got. So they've got on one side what Kevorkian says and what the free press Mm -hmm. found. So what he says, he says every assisted suicide candidate undergoes extensive counseling with Kevorkian. Mm -hmm. And what they found is that counseling is often limited to phone calls and brief meetings that include family members and friends. Um, 
Uh, is that a problem? I mean, obviously you don't want things to be too brief, but I just, I guess I don't necessarily consider this the bomb. Anyway, let me, okay. I'm going to keep going. Okay. Two, every candidate for assisted suicide must be examined by a psychiatrist. What they found. There was no psychiatric exam in at least 19 Kevorkian-assisted suicides, including several in which friends or family reported that the patient was despondent over matters other than health. Hmm. Okay. Three, patients who complain of chronic pain should be examined by a doctor who specializes in pain control. Mm-hmm. This is what they found. In at least 17 assisted suicides in which people complained of chronic pain, Kevorkian did not refer the patient to a pain specialist. Four, before agreeing to assist a suicide, Kevorkian makes a detailed review of each patient's medical records. What they found. Kevorkian's access to such records varied widely. In some instances, he received only a brief summary of the attending physician's prognosis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Great. Is this too boring? I've got two more. No, no, no. Okay. Those who qualify for Kevorkian's help suffer from afflictions that are incurable or cannot be treated without intolerable side effects. Here's what they found. Autopsies of at least three Kevorkian suicides revealed no anatomical evidence of disease. Final one. Death should not take place sooner than 24 hours after a patient has made a final request. What they found. At least 19 patients died less than 24 hours after meeting Kevorkian for the first time. Wow. So. That one's alarming. Yeah, there. I mean, there are a few of these in yeah. here that are alarming. Yeah. Because, like, one of the, the idea that maybe someone is just depressed mm-hmm. and he's helping them with suicide. Yeah. Well. That's a completely different thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe I saw somewhere, but I did not write it down, that. Um, the lawyer, Jeffrey, responded to, to some of these saying, like, the laws and all this stuff and mm-hmm. all these limitations on him have yeah. made it impossible to follow his own guidelines. So I guess that's I, a bit of, con- of a concession there. Oh, yeah. But I also feel like, not to say that this article is incorrect, because it might very well be correct, yeah. but I also think if there were all these instances of really iffy suicides, why didn't they prosecute him for those? Right, exactly. Yeah. So that's the only thing that keeps bothering me is if he was so lax, if he yeah, if he was so careless, yeah, just pick yeah one of those many cases. Yeah. But somehow they went to trial now five times Mm -hmm. and they couldn't do that. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You're right. Diane Coleman founder of Not Dead Yet. She's a disability rights advocate. Mm -hmm. She said, it's the ultimate form of discrimination to offer people with disabilities help to die without having offered real options to live. That's not what he was marketing. Yeah. That's not what he was selling. Yeah. I don't agree with that statement. Yeah, I guess I'd like to hear more, but my... My initial thought is, like, you can't do everything for everybody. Yeah. And if this is the option somebody wants to take, again, who... Yeah. Who are we? Yeah. Why do we get a fucking opinion? Yeah. In a 2005 prison interview, Jack said that if he were released, he wouldn't help people die anymore. Instead, he'd just campaign to change the laws around assisted suicide Mm -hmm. and euthanasia. 
Two years later, in 2007, he was paroled for good behavior on the condition, on the condition that he not assist in a suicide or euthanasia. Mm-hmm. He was also barred from promoting assisted suicide. Wow. Once he got out, he ran for Congress, but lost big time. Yeah. Jack died in 2011. He was 82. His tomes... Homestone. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> His tombstone reads, He sacrificed himself for everyone's rights. After Jack died, Judge Thomas Jackson, who presided over the first trial, said he was sad to hear about Jack's death. He also said that Jack had been brought to trial under a badly written law mm-hmm. that was specifically written to catch him. And he was basically mm-hmm. like, I tried to give him the most fair trial I yeah. could. Old Jeffrey. Long-term friend also spoke out, and he said, Dr. Jack Kevorkian didn't seek out history, but he made history. Mm -hmm. To this day, assisted suicide and euthanasia is a very controversial issue, and it's still illegal in most U.S. states. Yep. Well, I think euthanasia is illegal everywhere Everywhere, in the U.S., but anyway, that's the story of Dr. Jack Kevorkian. Uh, I I had no idea... That there were so many legal battles in yeah. that. And in like the famous trials.com stuff, he kind of started going through the trials quickly. And I was like, whoa, hang on, buddy. Ooh, and then I realized, oh, there are five of these. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. There's a bench. That was so interesting. I'm so glad. I was yeah. I was worried that it would be like just depressing as hell. No, super, super interesting. Depressing, but also super, super interesting. Well, you know, we got to teach people that Alzheimer's is bad. So yes. that's important. Yes. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Do you need a pee break? I don't. Oh, pacing yourself on the beverages today. I really am. I'm totally in control of my body. Do you like pancakes? Yeah, I like pancakes. Do you like omelets? Of course I like omelets. Do you like bacon? (laughs) What do I look like? (laughs) These are all things IHOP is known for, and I'm going to talk about none of them. Okay. Because I'm not talking about IHOP, the restaurant. (gasps) Oh, you are talking about the church! Yes! Uh, uh, uh. Oh, you had me... (laughs) 
you totally had me tricked. I was like, what bad shit went down in an IHOP? Yes, we are going to be talking about the International House, House of, of Prayer. Prayer. Yes. Um, this is a local case in case you guys couldn't figure it out. It is. It's local, um, though the church has branches all over the United States. It is headquartered in Grandview, Missouri. And many people believe it's a cult. Mm-hmm. And today I'm going to talk about a case that uh, that might make you lean one way or the other on that belief. Great. So let me tell you how I was inspired to cover this case. How did I inspire you? You Brandy? did not inspire what? me. <laughs> I drove by this church this weekend that is like gated and has like this huge fence around it. <laughs> and like, And I was like, what the fuck is the deal with that church? And so I was like, I have to Google it. And so I Googled it. And the third result for that church, which I'm not going to name, is that it's believed to be a cult. And I was like, oh, gosh. And so I was like, who puts a huge wall around their church? Right? Yeah. All are welcome. Yeah. Stay the hell away. That's exactly right. And so then I was like, so I was like, oh, my gosh, it's a cult. And then I was like, I know what case I have to do. Okay. October 30th, 2012. It's 9.40 p.m. And the sheriff's department responds to a report of a dead body at Longview Lake Picnic Shelter Number 12 in Kansas City, Missouri. Mm. We've actually talked about Longview Lake on here before. Have we? Yeah. That's where Kelsey Smith's body was found. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also a lovely place. It is a lovely place. There's a beautiful park, and yes. I feel like parks and jogging trails get a really bad rap in true crime. A tan Ford Windstar van was found in a parking lot near the picnic shelter, and in the van's back seat, deputies found the body of a young woman. A white plastic trash bag had been pulled over her head and tied under her chin. She had on running shoes, black sweatpants, a light blue fleece sweatshirt, and a diamond wedding ring. Her eyeglasses had been removed and were folded up and placed in a cup holder on the console. A handwritten note was found next to her glasses. It read, My name is Bethany Deaton. I chose this evil thing. I did it because I wouldn't be a real person. And what is the point of living if it's too late for that? Oh, my. I wish I had chosen differently a long time ago. I knew it all and refused to listen. Maybe Jesus will still save me. So that was obviously not written by her. Mm. Really? A little heavy on the blame game Mm. for my taste. Also on the console were two 100-count bottles of acetaminophen PM. Um, One was unopened and the other was empty. A photo ID for Bethany, who was an RN at Menorah Medical Center, uh, lay on the floorboard of the van. Bethany was 27 and she had recently completed her nursing degree and she was had just started her first job as a nurse and she was excelling. At mm-hmm. it. Her supervisors thought she was great. She was very empathetic. She were, had a great bedside manner. Things were going well. 
Other items found in the van included a set of CDs produced by the International House of Prayer. So just a little tidbit about IHOP as it's known Mm -hmm. around here. Yeah, that's not just a weird joke. I mean, no, they call like themselves. The, they I call hop. themselves. Yes. So, the believers, the parishioners, whatever of IHOP, believe that the second coming will soon occur. It will occur in their lifetime, and that God needs their help to return Christ to Earth, and that He needs their help through prayer. They believe in like twenty-four hour a day prayer. Thus the name. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. So Bethany had actually moved to Grandview like four years prior to her body being discovered. Specifically to come to the International House of Prayer. Okay. Um, she had gone to, she was from Texas. She'd grown up in Texas. And she had belonged to an IHOP worship group there. Okay. And that group included about 20 members. And they had almost all of them relocated together to Grandview hmm. to come to the headquarters. Uh-huh. Um, the group lived in two separate houses. They called themselves the community. They lived in a male house and a female house. Oh, God, this is weird. Um, very close to the headquarters in Grandview, Missouri. Can you imagine being their neighbors? That'd be so weird. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, So this, the community, as Mm -hmm. they called themselves, were kind of a splinter group. They, what they did was not mandated by IHOP, Mm -hmm. um, but they were very heavily involved. And most people believe that IHOP knew exactly what they were up to as their little What were they up to? Um, so it was just a very tight knit group of worshipers, mm-hmm. Kristen. That's all. Mm-hmm. They were led, um, by a man named Tyler Deaton, who, um, was Bethany's husband, though. They didn't live together? They did once they married. Okay. Once they married, Bethany moved into the male house and shared Tyler's basement bedroom with him. Oh God, that's grim. <laughs> Oh, God. Um, but Tyler was the eccentric leader of the community. Mm-hmm. He believed that he had been called by God to start a worship group. July 20th of 2007, while he was standing outside of Barnes & Noble waiting for the midnight release <coughs> of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. What? Why? Oh, so God spoke to him then and said... Yeah. God spoke to him then and told him that he needed to form a worship group. Um, he was still living in Texas at that time. He went to uh, Southwestern Texas or Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas, okay. which is also where Bethany went. And so he was he was super into fantasy books. Um, he was very into magic, had been his whole life. Sounds pretty devilish if you ask mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And so he was there in line at that Barnes and Noble waiting for the final Harry Potter book to be released. Mm -hmm. And God spoke to him. What did God say? God said, you need to form a worship group. And this was a message that Tyler had been waiting for because Tyler was really battling in his life. He had a lot of homosexual urges. Oh, boy. 
And oh, he knew boy. that that was wrong, Kristen. Okay, this is and oh. um, that God he, would God would help cure him. Oh my God! No. Yep. Never. Yep. Does not work. Right. But I mean, what better group to join to pray the gay away than the International House, House of, of Prayer, Prayer that literally never stops praying? Twenty-four hours. There's not a moment where there are not tons of people at the headquarters praying. You know, some of those people are just zoning out. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they have to pray for, like, 11-hour sessions. They go into the prayer room, and they just have to be there praying. Oh, my gosh. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Okay, so... Tyler is battling with these homosexual urges. He's pretty sure he's gay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure too. And he knows that that is wrong and that God can save him. So he gets a message from God Mm -hmm. to start this worship group. And he's like, yes, this is it. This is how I turn my life around. And so he does. He starts this worship group. They are very devout. And things are going pretty well. Initially, the group started to get together just like once a week. And then it grew from there. All of a sudden, they were always together. And then it came to them all graduating college and moving into these two houses together. Right. Because Tyler wanted to continue living with a bunch of dudes. Uh Uh-huh. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. So now, so they've moved to Grandview. They've been here about four years. Tyler decides that it's worked. He's no longer gay. He is attracted to Bethany. He's sure of it. Does Bethany know this whole story? Oh, yes. Oh, she is in love with Tyler. Tyler is super charismatic and like. I'm sure he is. He's a cult leader. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. He's super charismatic. Everyone is like on the edge of their seats listening to him. Every word that comes out of his mouth sounds like gospel. Like Uh they eat up every word of it. And so finally in, I believe, August, yeah, August of 2012, Tyler and Bethany get married. Tyler tells her, I'm no longer gay. All of the praying has worked. I know you're in love with me. I feel affection for you. We're going to get married. And so they do. And like her family is like, this is weird. Oh, like really? Thought the wedding was super weird. Her oh. best friend thought the wedding was super weird. Her best friend said, um, I'm sorry, I should have said this already. Most of this information comes from two sources, an episode of 48 Hours and an, an article um, in The Rolling Stone. Okay. Um, so on this 48 Hours episode, her best friend says something like, like she, the family and the fr- and the friends were not involved in the wedding at all. It was just the 
core group. The community. The community. Uh-huh. Um, and they were just like, the family and friends were just like on the outside as spectators looking in. And her best friend said, I remember thinking that day, she's still beautiful, but it's like she's faded. It's like, it's a wilted kind of beauty. Like, this isn't Bethany anymore. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. She said, her best friend said that she had a premonition that it would be that at her wedding, that it would be the last time she saw her friend alive. Oh, <gasps> wow. Yeah. So that was in August of 2012. I thought you were going to say like a premonition that this will end in divorce or no, this is this guy's not great. the last time she would see her alive. Wow. So that was August 2012, October 30th, 2012. Bethany's Holy body was found shit. in the back seat of her van. Oh, my God. So back to the day that the body was located, mm-hmm. um, they do a autopsy, you know, whatever. Her death is ruled a suicide and her body was released back to her family for burial in her hometown in Texas. Things kind of go on, you know, whatever. And then two days after her body is released on uh, November 9th, a man walked into the Grandview Police Department. He was a friend of Bethany's. He was a member of the community. Mm-hmm. His name was Micah Moore, and he was one of the original members of the group. He had gone to Southwestern University in Texas. He was one of the early recruits into the community. He walked into the police department, and he said, I killed her. <gasps> it wasn't a suicide. I should clarify that even though I'm, I was familiar with this case's existence, I have no memory of it whatsoever. Okay. So that is not a fake okay. gas, just so everyone okay. knows. He said, this isn't a suicide. I killed her. And I did it on Tyler's orders. Yep. Over the past few months, Micah told detectives, Bethany had been being dosed with Seroquel, which is like an antipsychotic drug. Uh-huh. And that he and... The other men in the men's house had been sexually assaulting (gasps) her. And they were worried. She had recently um, began going to a therapist because she was having battles with depression and questioning her faith and stuff. And they had begun to worry that she might tell someone. Oh, my God. And so Tyler had ordered her murder. (sighs) That's not all that was going on in the men's house. What the hell? Kristen, what more could be going on? There were well, all obviously kinds Micah of and Trevor were banging. Taylor, Tyler, Tyler, Tyler. Tyler. <laughs> all of the men in the house were banging. Oh well, I really un- Tyler was had seduced all of the men. Uh huh. And though they well, wait, hold on. I thought he was a hundred percent straight thanks to the praying. Um, so initially, it started because he wanted to practice for his honeymoon. So that he could satisfy his wife. Oh, boy. No better practice than a dick. I mean, what? (laughs) That doesn't make sense. I wanted to make sure that he could perform on his wedding night and on his honeymoon. He and Bethany went on a two-week honeymoon after after their wedding Mm -hmm. and never consummated their marriage. Mm -hmm. In fact, they never had sex a single time. It's weird because he got so much practice with those dudes. With those dudes. Yeah, so investigators are like, what? What's that now? <laughs> and so they bring in, independently, they bring in the other male members of the community. And yes, it turns out that like 
four of the men in the house had been having sexual relationships with Tyler, including Micah. And raping Mm -hmm. Bethany. Sexually assaulting Bethany, yeah. Yeah. While she was being drugged. Um, At least one of those relationships was considered long-term. And then another member of the house, like the youngest member of the house, said that he had not yet had a sexual relationship with Tyler, but he felt that he had been being groomed for it to begin. Yeah. Yeah. The men during these interrogations said that Tyler was their spiritual leader. That they believed everything that came out of his mouth, but that he was very manipulative and that he exercised complete control over the members of the household. Um, And that he characterized the sexual activity as a religious experience. Ah. Yes. So on this this 48 Hours episode, I'm sorry, I'm going to try and find this quote real fast. He is interviewed. Tyler Deaton is. Yeah. And they ask him if he had sexual relationships with these men. So, okay. So he admits in this interview um, to being sexually intimate with several members of the group Mm -hmm. that were living in this home. And he's asked if Micah was his lover. And he said, no, that wouldn't be accurate. And they said, you didn't have a sexual relationship? And Tyler says, oh, no, with him? And the interviewer says, yeah, yeah, with Micah. And he's like, yes, yeah, 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 that happened. Well, what? <laughs> well, yeah. And he said it was a religious experience, not a relationship. And so that's why he was confused yes, by the question? Yes, that question, yes. Fuck yes. off. Yeah. <sighs> And so he's asked then if um, he had this relationship, this this physical sexual relationship while he was married to Bethany. Mm-hmm. And he said, yes. And they said, was Bethany aware of this? And he said, not to my knowledge. Well, no, because it was between him and God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why, why trouble mm-hmm. her? Yeah. And he said, not to my knowledge. And then they asked him about consummating the marriage. And he said, no, we never had sex. And... They, the interviewer asked him, well, how did that affect your marriage? Mm-hmm. And he said, it, oh, just two weeks into it, our marriage had problems. It, the lack of in- intimacy took a huge toll on her. I'm, it I'm affected sure. her self-esteem very negatively. And so the interviewer asked, did she threaten divorce? And he said, no, no, she didn't. What she did was way worse. Uh. So he said, Bethany's personality blames herself. That's the way she works. She internalizes things. And she internalized it. And I was too freaking stupid and ignorant to recognize what was going on. And she took her own life. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, okay. You don't think she took her own life, Kristen? Absolutely not. That note was a dead giveaway. So when, when Micah walked into the police department that day and said, I murdered her and this is how I... He walked them through how he did it. He tied the, 
the bag around her head. He drugged her first. He'd, he'd given her a bottle of water that was drugged. And then when she was in a manipulative state, when he yeah. could easily control her, he tied a bag around her head until she died. Oh, God. Um, they arrested him that day mm-hmm. and charged him with first-degree murder. Yeah. Um, and her... They actually immediately called her family and asked them to stop them because they were about to bury her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they were like, what's going on? And they told them about Micah's confession. And they were like, we knew Mm -hmm. she did not take her own life. And detectives had already been a little bit suspicious. There were a couple things. When the bag was removed from her head, her eyes were open, which is very... um, uh, Does not match if someone has taken a large amount of drugs. Oh. And... According to the scene, she'd taken a hundred right Tylenol PMs. Uh huh. And then her family said that it didn't make sense to them that she would have drugged herself with Tylenol PM. She was an RN. She could have gotten something. That's an much excellent stronger. point. That's an excellent point. Yes, she would have easily had access to something stronger than Tylenol PM. Yes, and they said that she was a very gifted writer. Uh huh. And that the tone of the note did not match. Yep. Not her, her style at all. Mm-hmm. In the least. And so, kind of all hell breaks loose when this comes out. It makes national news. People start looking into IHOP and yeah, you know what the hell's going on there. So IHOP released an official statement on her death. At that time, uh-huh. I had it pulled up to read, and then I accidentally closed it. Hold on one second. So on November 12th, 2012, so three days after Micah's confession, IHOP released this statement. The International House of Prayer University faculty was saddened by the tragic death of Bethany Deaton on October 30th. Bethany had attended a six-month internship at IHOP in 2009 and went on to become a registered nurse working in a local hospital. Like they're taking credit for that? (laughs) (laughs) On November 10th, we were shocked when the Jackson County Sheriff's Office notified us that an IHOP student by the name of Micah Moore, a man who knew Bethany since their college days in Texas, had been charged with her murder. Since Bethany's death, it has come to light that over five years ago, both she and Mr. Moore joined an independent, close-knit religious group in Georgetown, Texas. This religious group of fewer than 20 people was led by Tyler Deaton. They relocated to Kansas City over the last few years and operated under a veil of secrecy. Hmm. The group has always operated independently of IHOP, and it is important to all of us that this group's secrecy and disturbing religious practices are fully exposed. Mr. Deaton led his religious group entirely independently from IHOP, though he and some of his members were enrolled in our program. We have been working closely with local authorities in their ongoing investigation into Bethany's death. We continue to fully assist all law enforcement agencies in their efforts to uncover the extent and specifics of this horrific crime. We are currently taking all necessary steps to minister to our students and ensure their safety and well-being. As an educational institution built around the priority of prayer, we ask everyone to please join us in praying for Bethany's family and friends, and all affected by her tragic and untimely death. Due to the ongoing police investigation, we have no further comment at this time. So they were like, 
separate, separate, separate. Uh huh. <laughs> as quickly as possible. And we had no idea what was going on with Tyler Deaton. Because they were doing their own thing. Yeah, under a veil of secrecy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We had no idea about all the orgies and the drugs. I. Okay. You've got this group of 20 people who are completely devoted to this guy. And IHOP doesn't know. Yeah, that's where they're all going and taking courses every day and in the prayer rooms every day. You don't know what's going on. Yeah, I don't believe that. Mm -mm. I don't believe it for a second. What do you think they knew? I think that they. I think that they knew that he believed he was a prophet and they probably encouraged it. He believed that he was getting messages from God, that he was God's prophet. Well, he did get that message outside of the Barnes Barnes & Noble. Noble. (laughs) Yes, I 100% believe they encouraged his prophet behavior. Mm. Oh. Because that's pretty much the basis of IHOP, is that people will be selected to get God's messages. And that... Oh. Yeah. And that you need those people to lead the prayer uh-huh. so that the Christ can come back. They, those prayers from those people will lead to the revival. Okay. Okay. I'm with you now. Yeah. Yeah. That seems very hard to believe that they wouldn't have known more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or at least known... This is something really sketchy, and we need to shut it down. Shut it down. Well, I think that they pro- there. I think there's probably a good chance that they had realized that it was escalating to that point. Uh huh. And then this happened. Yeah. And they were like, "Oh fuck." Yeah. Although they probably didn't say that because they're religious. So, this is their their like number one tenant. I hopped. So God needs IHoppers to affect the tribulation and bring Christ back to earth. The church causes the great tribulation. And they argue that God intends the parishioners or the prophets to be used like gods. God has conceived in his heart of a plan to make a race of men that would live like gods on earth. Yes. Okay. Yes. So they believe that there are specific men who will be chosen among them who will be able to hear the voice of the Lord. Okay. This whole thing makes a hell of a lot more sense now. Yeah. And yeah, who cares about some woman when you've got this godly man living in a basement in Mm -hmm. Grandview? So the founder of IHOP, his name is Mike Bickle. He founded it in like 1983. He said he was instructed by God to establish a um, 24-hour prayer in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. And so this 24-hour prayer was to resurrect the spirit of worship and that that would then bring the second coming of Christ. Okay. So God spoke to him mm-hmm. and he created this place in Grandview, Missouri. This founder of IHOP claims that he visited 
heaven one night at 2.16 a.m. And that the Lord charged him with preparing for an end times ministry and seated him in a golden chariot that lifted off into the heavens. And this is common in IHOP. Many people tell of these experiences. Well, sure. If you have the opportunity to Mm -hmm. be part of this race of men Mm -hmm. who are gods roaming the earth, Mm -hmm. then yeah, um, I would probably also get the call outside of Barnes & Noble. Mm -hmm. I'd probably also visit heaven Mm -hmm. and stick around for just a little while. So the vanguard of God's end times army, as Bickle calls it, will be made up of young people or forerunners, seers specifically attuned to the will of the Lord, the best of all the generations that have ever been seen on the face of the earth. When Christ returns, he will slaughter by sword in a single day the unsaved and his warriors, Mm -hmm. the people of IHOP, will rule heaven and earth forevermore. Um, it is worth noting that this is not the only, uh, IHOP is not the only organization in, um, or movement, as people call it, that believe in this prophecy. Uh-huh. Um, but. Well, but um, the other groups believe it for themselves. Not, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I can't get behind all that. No. No. Sounds very culty to me. Yeah. Sounds a lot like, a like cult. um it smells a lot like what Charles Manson was preaching in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. That his his group, his family were the chosen and they were going to survive the end of days and then rule the world. And he knew this because God was sending him messages through the Beatles music. Oh. You know what? Yeah. Yeah. We're in this together. Yeah. We're going to prevail. Yeah. And we will live like kings. Yeah. Yep. So, Micah has come and given this big confession that all of this stuff was going on behind the scenes. Bethany was being drugged. She was being sexually assaulted, um, raped, um, and that all of these men were undertaking all of these weird sexual relationships with one another, whatever. So the women's house legitimately had no idea that any of this was going on. Like, I'm sorry. They call their parent, like all of these parents come and like pick their young or young adult children up and take them home and whatever. And like legitimately some of them did not realize that they had been like sucked into a cult. Well, yeah, I mean, you never, you never set out no, to join a cult. would be me. I'm telling you it would be me. Are you telling me? I'd be like, oh my you'd gosh, you'd be living Tyler, in. You're probably right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, these people were completely under his spell. Like they completely believed every word that came out of his mouth, and he was described as being very handsome, very charismatic. He played the guitar. That oh, let me tell you, <laughs> from my years at church camp. <laughs> the hot- dude that the hot dude that plays the guitar and sings the songs. Oh. He is the God among men. Yes. And I know you always say this. You would not get sucked into a cult. 
You would not. I think I... Ugh. You question too much. You're right. I do question. Yeah. You would not get sucked okay. into a cult. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I'm scared it's going to happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> they give me like... Someone gives me like five compliments uh-huh. and then is like... You're so smart. You've been chosen for this. I'd be like, you're exactly right. Tell me more. <laughs> Tell me more about the end of days, Tyler. <laughs> this podcast is a cult. <laughs> so Micah is arrested and charged with the first degree murder of Bethany. The community disperses. Tyler freaking isn't charged with anything. He takes off for Texas. He gets a job as a pre-calc teacher in high what? school. Fi- like he's a super popular teacher. They, people of love course him. He is. And then his students start googling him and they find out what happened in Grandview and he gets fired. Whoa. Yeah. Wait, he wasn't charged with anything? Nothing. Hurry up to the a, part where it changes. It was a suicide. We all know it wasn't. So they reopen Micah the investigation was, into her okay. death. And her the cause of death is changed from suicide to undetermined. Okay. So they can't clearly say, yes, she was murdered. It is possible that she could have killed herself in the manner. like she. It would have been physically possible for her to tie the bag. It's unlikely. It's a very odd way for someone to uh, yeah, it's kill themselves. Yeah, it's very odd. Um, and she had actually... Like the bag had entered her windpipe because she had, like, yeah, fought so much. Oh, and so the drugging didn't really match. Mm-hmm. So two weeks later, Micah Moore is in court for his first appearance, um, his like official arraignment or whatever, and his lawyer drops a bombshell. He is recanting his entire confession. Uh. None of it was true. You care to know why? <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting. Okay, I'm so on the is, edge of my seat. This is his, his attorney's official statement. Okay. The facts suggest Bethany Deaton's death was an unfortunate suicide, and Micah Moore had nothing to do with that suicide. Driven to the police station by representatives of his church community, Micah told a fictional account that was bizarre, nonsensical, and most importantly, untrue. Um, She went on to say that the doctrines taught um, by the community to him by Tyler Deaton affected Micah's mental state. Hmm. She said, these were statements of a distraught and confused young man under extreme psychological pressures as a result of his friend Bethany's untimely suicide and sudden removal of his spiritual leader, Tyler Deaton, from their extremely close-knit religious community. So immediately after his death, Tyler, like, skedaddles out of there. Yeah. And one article that I read said that the remaining members of the community attempted to perform an exorcism on Micah because they believed that he had maybe been inhabited by a demon. Oh, God. And his attorney claims that it was that failed exorcism and all of the stress of Bethany's death and Tyler leaving that caused some kind of psychological break that made Micah believe that he was responsible for Bethany's death. Okay. When in all actuality, it was a suicide. 
No. Nope. You don't believe it was a suicide? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I believe what her family said. Yeah. So do I. Yeah. I don't believe it. I don't think it matches. I think you were totally right. I think the suicide note, the tone of it is very odd. And the maybe maybe Jesus will still save me. Like No. That's written by somebody else. It's one I think it's one hundred percent written by someone else. Yeah. So the case against Micah moves forward. Like I said, IHOP has completely separated themselves from him. Tyler's off. He's completely separated. Mm-hmm. He's gotten off like scot free, basically. Yep. Micah has completely recanted his statement, but the prosecution's moving forward. They think they can prove that she was drugged. They've got enough witnesses who can testify about the things that were going on inside the home. Micah's uh, trial was scheduled to begin on November 17th, 2014. And then on October 31st, 2014, just about two weeks before the trial was to begin, and almost two years to the day after Bethany's death, the prosecution announced that they were dismissing all charges <gasps> against Micah Moore. What? Yep. It was like it was like a they called an emergency hearing and it was a bombshell. They had no evidence. This is the official statement. My office concluded that we could not ethically continue to pursue the case given the current evidence against Micah Moore. So that's the official statement from uh, Jackson County Prosecutor Jean Peters Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, the duty of the prosecutor is to seek justice, not merely to convict. The death of Bethany Deaton remains a great tragedy. She was a talented and gifted young woman whose life ended too soon. Our deepest sympathies continue to go out to her family. This decision was reached after consultation with Bethany's family. So the prosecutor, the prosecution's office said that their investigation during this time had determined that some of the statements made by Micah to the police were unreliable or unsupported by the evidence. Wow. These included... Moore's DNA was not found on the bag used to suffocate Bethany. And her DNA was found on the outside of the bag. DNA samples were taken from multiple persons in the community. And none were found present. Um, Was there any DNA on the outside of the bag from anyone other than her? I don't know. Okay. They didn't say that specifically. They just said everybody that they tested around her mm-hmm. the community basically we're all cleared of any of their dna being on it wouldn't you wear gloves though yeah you sure fucking would wouldn't you yeah yeah handwriting analysis done by the fbi of the suicide note concluded that it was written by bethany bullshit i know handwriting analysis is bullshit anyway yeah what is this the 1950s mm-hmm. go home and sarah quill which Micah claimed to have drugged her with. Oh, Peanut. Nothing's happening, Peanut. <laughs> really scared me, though. That scared me, too. And Seroquel, which Micah had claimed to have drugged her with right. prior to strangling her, was not found in her system. Wow. Yep. That's not great. 
Ja. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. And finally, the medical examiner's office concluded that they couldn't determine a cause of death. It could have been suicide. could have been something else. And that the prosecution relies heavily on the medical examiner and without them being able to say this was a homicide, there wasn't much for them to move forward with. Wow. Mm-hmm. I get that. But holy shit, somebody got away with something here. So the prosecution would not go as far to call Bethany's death a suicide. This case remains open. Yeah. So what do you think? I think she was murdered. Well, of course she was murdered. I 100% yeah, think she was murdered. There's no doubt in my mind she was murdered. Mm-hmm. Now, I think she found out that Tyler was having homosexual relationships with the men in the house and threatened to tell, threatened to go to the church authorities, threatened to do something, mm-hmm. and she was murdered. Yeah. Even only threatened to leave. Yeah. I could even see... Not really threatening anything, Mm -hmm. but like if you believe that you're a god among men Mm -hmm. and someone is giving you the slightest bit of trouble Mm -hmm. or someone is around and you don't want them to be around, Mm -hmm. get rid of them. Yep. You're going to rule the world after the end of days, which will be, you know what, I don't know. Thursday. Yeah, sure. Sure. So who cares if you Mm -hmm. commit a murder or you tell somebody to murder someone? Yep. Yeah, so this case is technically unsolved. It remains open. Her cause of death remains undetermined. Her family believes that she was murdered. Of course. I believe she was murdered. Yeah. (sighs) Yep. But who did it? Who did it? Oh, man. That's the story of the cult in Grandview, Missouri. Are we allowed? Cult with a question mark. Cult? Alleged cult. Okay, alleged cult. Mm hmm. Um,. Who do you think did it? Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think Micah has to be involved. I don't think you just go confess to something without having any involvement in it. I think it's exactly what Micah said. I think it probably is. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Oh, that was upsetting. Yeah. Yeah, I... Here's what I remember. So, sorry, technically did not go to trial, but that story was way too crazy not to tell. That's a court story to me. Yes. (laughs) That's that's really fascinating. Yeah, because, like, I think the prosecution 100% thinks they had the right guy. They just couldn't prove it. That has to be so frustrating. Yeah. But you know that happens all the time. All the time. I believe something, can't prove it. Yep. If I bring it before a jury right now with the evidence I have right now. They won't convict. Mm -mm. Yeah. And then you lose your shot. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just have to hope that somebody who knows something. Yeah. It weighs on their conscience Mm -hmm. and they come forward. Yeah. And they're listening to this podcast. Podcast, yes. And they're like, you know what? (laughs) I've learned that Alzheimer's is bad and that I should go talk to the police. On 
along the lines of Alzheimer's is bad. Yeah. So we do a funny thing on here sometimes where we talk about, you know, all Brad's are blonde, all Mark's are <laughs> yeah. Canadian, all Dee's are bad. Uh-huh. Um, so one of our listeners messaged us on Facebook and he was like, hey, I have a theory kind of going off of that. He's like, I want to know, you know, our, this listener's name is David. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I want to know if your David likes tiramisu. I have a theory that all Davids love tiramisu. And so I was like, hey, I'll find out for you. So I asked David. David does, in fact, like tiramisu. Hmm. So got a new theory. All Davids love tiramisu. (laughs) (laughs) All Brad's are blonde. All Mark's are Canadian. Dee's are terrible. Davids Davids love love tiramisu. tiramisu. (laughs) These are the facts. Undeniable facts. Um, So now that we're on to the show notes portion uh, so today is Kyla's birthday. Yeah. Today's my sister's birthday. Yes. We're recording this on May 15th. And she I texted her this morning to say happy birthday. She texted me like, hey, I'm so excited that I get to listen to the podcast today. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to read to you. Oh, OK. So I said, happy birthday, sis. And she goes, thank you, sister. Was thinking earlier this week how excited I was for a podcast episode on my birthday. And I sent her a bunch of happy faces. Yeah. And I thought, oh boy, the episode that's airing on her birthday is one where a child dies in a car. Yep. And my sister has kids. Yes. And this is so anyway, I but I decided not to say anything. And so Kyla texted me all caps like two hours later later. Why did Brandy do this case on my birthday? This is the worst one for me. And I said, I know, I hated it too. And she goes, poor baby, I'm sorry, but Brandy has to be fired. <laughs> Kyla, I'm so sorry. Then she clarified, poor baby, as in the victim, not Brandy. She must suffer for what she did. <laughs> so Brandy, I'm sorry. I'm You're fired. fired. You're okay. fired. All right. You went too far. I'm I've so got sorry. An, I've got another thing. Okay. So someone reached out to us on Twitter, and it's also the person who runs uh, the oh, subreddit. Oh, one of the mods on our yeah. subreddit, yeah. Ookla? Uh, sure. Okay, here's what she said, and I actually wrote about this on Reddit because she posted it mm-hmm. on Reddit, too. That this, The point she's making is so good that I actually got angry because I was like, why didn't I think yeah. of this when you told it to me? Here's what she said. If Ross did in- intend to kill Cooper and fake it, why wouldn't he have done the fake freaking out when he put the light bulbs in the car? Why go back into the car at lunch at all? I think the guy was an absent-minded asshole who had sexting on his mind. Which I think is totally possible. I have another theory. Though. What's your theory? Cooper may not have been dead yet at that point. Okay. Very interesting that you said that. In my Reddit comment, yeah. I said, and I acknowledge that this was a very dark mm-hmm. thought, was that he went back to, to check, check and, and see, see if, if Cooper was, was dead. dead. Yeah, I think that's very possible. Uh, well, okay, well, I'm glad I brought us down with that. Yes, but it was just you. one of those points that I was like, ah, that's that's not a bad yeah, it's theory. it's not a bad, it's not at all. Okay, I have, look at us with our show notes. I know, we're so I've organized. Too. Okay, so last week I mentioned that I had taken David to some of our childhood places like I yeah. took him on a little tour of my bubble so this weekend he did the same for me uh-huh he took me to one of his favorite places uh-huh which is James A. Reed <gasps> Memorial Wildlife Area what? yes so he's like he's like okay I'm gonna take you to one of my favorite places and he pulls up and he's like are you ready and I was like yeah and he's like check out the sign as we go in. and I was oh. like James A. Reed that's my dude that's yes. my dude yes so 
Um, it's like this really cool place. Like it's a like a conservation area, whatever. But there's like fishing and stuff like that in it. Yeah. Um, and so he took me to like his favorite fishing spot in there. Yeah. This lake inside is called Lake Nell. <gasps> Wow. Yes. That is so cool. And for people who don't know what we're talking yes. about, James A. Reed is like a famous Kansas City prosecutor. Yeah. Um, Nell Donnelly is was like at one time considered the most successful businesswoman business in America. Yeah. Uh, they hooked up on the side. Then they got together legit. Yes. We've done many cases, many old-timey Kansas City yes. cases invo- involving them. So how cool. Yes. How cool. Lake Nell. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, he, like, showed me his favorite, like, fishing pot part. And then I, like, read the sign. I was like, do you know what this is called? And he's like, no. I was like, it's called Lake Nell. Yeah. And he's like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I bet it's named after Nell Donnelly. Of course it is. Of course it is. Of course it is. That's amazing. Yeah, isn't that awesome? I love that you and I are the type where we make these connections and we want everyone else to be just as excited as we are. Yes. Very rarely works out. That's right. Um, Okay, I have one more. Yeah. So I read about this today. This kind of goes along with my little court case, like my weird court cases that I bring up at the end of episodes. Yeah, yeah. So my favorite one was the gravy one. (laughs) You're disgusting. Um, Putting gravy in quotation marks. um, Ariana Grande is being sued by a pa- uh, paparazzi what what's the what's the singular term for pap- paparazzo you said paparazzo a pap uh, uh, i don't know i don't know um a for taking their photos and sharing them on her instagram wow yeah and this is not the first case of this apparently a couple of other celebrities have been sued for this yeah she's suing for any income earned by her sharing those pictures or $25,000, whichever is greater. They're pictures oh, of her. Leave her alone. I think that's yeah. crazy. They're pictures she didn't ask you to take of her. Like you stood outside of her apartment and took them as she left. Yeah. I think that's so crazy. Yeah, I think if there's a silver lining to having annoying men standing outside your apartment yeah. ready to photograph you at all hours of the day, it's maybe you, you, you catch keep a fun nice shot one. for your Instagram every yeah. now and again. Yeah, now she is being sued for sharing it on her Instagram. Thank you, next. Yes. Don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. I don't care for it one bit. Yeah. Hey, you know what I do care for? What? All those new ratings and reviews we've yes. gotten on iTunes. Yes. We've gotten a bunch. Thank you, guys. Except, do you want to tell them the sad thing? Yeah. So here's the <laughs> sad, horrible news. I don't know about horrible. No, it's horrible, Kristen. Okay. Kristen and I had a party yesterday. <laughs> we celebrated through text message because we reached our 250 goal. Yeah. And then somebody's iTunes account got deleted. And so we're back down to 249. <laughs> We're plummeting like pro Jared over here. Oh, oh, timely reference. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> anyway, so I guess we're still working on that 250 goal. So please help us out. Head on over to iTunes. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. And then find us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Reddit. We're on YouTube. Find us all those places. And then join us next week. When we'll be experts on two whole new topics podcast adjourned and now for a note about our process i read a bunch of stuff then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary and i copy and paste from the best sources on the web and 
and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from FamousTrials.com, Newspapers.com, the Detroit Free Press, and Wikipedia. And I got my info from an episode of 48 Hours, as well as articles for The Rolling Stone, The Huffington Post, The Houston Press, and The Kansas City Star. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.